we're are back we, with. Are we recording? We're good. I mean, who can say? Okay. I think we're. Are we recording? We're good. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. I think we're good. <laughs> This whole thing has been a dry run. Well, <laughs> you just, who can say? There's what an if, old, old episode of Cheers where he doesn't record the wedding. You remember Cliff? Oh, yeah. Cliff doesn't record the wedding. Anyways. Yeah. I don't actually remember that moment. No, but I think sorry. that predates me. Yeah, probably. I mean, you're right. only a little bit older than me. Only a little bit. But yeah, there's there's a you know, full house, <laughs> Cheers, sitcom divide. You know, sitcoms really do define okay. like, when you were born. In my like, mind, it's like Cheers, very different from... What was the spinoff with the doctor, the psychologist? Oh, yeah, Frasier. Frasier. Yeah. I kind of grew up on Frasier a little bit, okay. but like I was much more of a Seinfeld guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. And if we're being honest, this is the best start to a podcast conversation <laughs> ever, right? So that's really good. Boy Meets World versus like Wonder Years. Oh, yeah. Those are, yep. That's a generational divide yeah, by at so, least 10 years. I mean, what a great time I lived Because I mean, I had both Fred Savage and, oh. and Topanga. What was her name? Oh, yeah. I don't <laughs> so, know her real life name. I don't know either, but yeah. So I, I think it's time for us to say, welcome to the Love Good Podcast, yeah, everybody. This I think, is, I this is great. We were just like chatting. We're like, maybe we should have more banter. Yeah. Yep, and I it just so. sort of happened. And now we're keeping it forever. Yeah. Well, because this just sort of happens organically. Like our usual conversations <laughs> are pretty much like 90% banter and like 10%. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. actually writing down each other's notes <laughs> and then like 90% banter. But it's okay. Welcome to the Love Good Podcast brought to you by our patrons, where you learn how to love what is good and become what you love. This is Jimmy Mitchell, your host. Join me each week as I sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about music, culture, and the art of being human. We're more than a subscription company. Love Good is a movement of artists, patrons, and young people who believe in the power of beauty to change the world. And we're so pumped you're here. All right, everybody. We got a really exciting episode coming up today. It's mid-January. I, I don't know where you find yourself. In Nashville, we've gone from, you know, 70 degrees uh, right around Christmas to thundering rain that led to some serious leakage in my my basement. Thankfully, it has not penetrated the studio yet. <laughs> it's cold. And, you know, I don't know exactly where in the world you are listening to this from. If you're in the Southern Hemisphere, I know we got folks in South Africa. Welcome to the Love Good Podcast. We got folks in New Zealand and other parts of the world. I think Kenya specifically as well, where um, it is your summertime. And I just want you to know that we are so excited to be in this journey with you, even if we are frigid here in North America. And it is such a joy today to let you know that I'm sitting down, as I do about once a month, with Dr. Ryan Hanning, a theologian, a homesteader, a husband, father officially to 10, and very dear friend. And today our conversation revolves around this idea of identity, right? Who are you? Specifically, what does our culture say about identity? And why are we so often wrapped up in productivity, efficiency, success, and actually, by extension, failure and weakness, right? How is it that we've reached a point as a society, and certainly I can say this is true of my own life, that I think, you know, who I am is more about what I do and what I accomplish when in fact, you know, for so much of history and Western civilization and certainly so much of Christian faith says that identity has everything to do with who you are and specifically who God says you are. So this overshadowing of our existence by productivity and efficiency uh, is really problematic. And I would say at the heart of so much of our cultural anxiety right now. So 
If you, like me, struggle with identifying too much with the work of your hands, okay, and the, and the perspective and approval of others, and don't find time every day to simply rejoice in existence, then this episode is for you. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. I'll be back in just a few moments with Dr. Ryan Hanning. And every day he's more a feeling Just an ache that never ends so I know that this is hopeless Cause I don't even know who you are Every hole I fill with stars But they shatter the dark But our love, it will never end Cause it never began Oh my Well, it is so good to have you back, Dr. Ryan Hanning, in the flesh. You know, yep. it's worth mentioning, you're not just someone we had on the podcast in season two. You know, you're not just someone that has become a, a dear friend over the last seven or eight years because of events that I've hosted, you know, in Nashville and Birmingham and events that you've hosted out in Phoenix and we've gone back and forth and all that's been amazing. But, you know, it's worth noting because so many of the people watching this right now, everybody watching and anybody who wants to and isn't because they're just listening at home should become a patron. But you've been a patron since the early days. I think I was convinced like immediately. Pretty cool. Yeah. I want my kids to grow up in a world where like, (laughs) <laughs> Things that are beautiful or readily available. Yep. You know, and, and they are in the natural world, yeah. which is great. Yeah. I mean, you go out and you see a beautiful flower, you go out and you see it's just the beauty of the, of the created world. But we don't get a lot of beauty when it comes from man's creation. I mean, even yeah. our like, so <laughs> I was, you know, on my trips to Poland, I've always been amazed at how beautiful the homes are. I mean, like the quality is ridiculous. Yeah. We build things in the States for efficiency mm. and profitability. Right. And we have that. Everything's a calculus. In Poland, because of the long oppression with communism, when they build things, they build things for durability, quality, and like actual, a real sort of contemplation for how long things will last in Mm. relationship to the generational need. Cool. So when they build things, they're thinking like, can my kids actually inherit this? Mm. I don't think any home we've owned will survive my children's children. Like, you're right. I mean, we just don't build that way. So I think, you know, a lot of times, and and my reason for, for, you know, being a patron for so long is because, man, is this amazing capacity to create beauty that really stirs the soul. But how rare it is that we find it. Mm. And your kids kind of fight over the package when they it comes do. every I few did. months, right? So yeah, we're pointing out this book that you have by Andrew Peterson. I said, I don't know where I got it. And he said, it came I was like, in, pretty sure we sent it to yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> it came from you. I just thought the kids picked it up somewhere because they stole the package. I love it. I my love uh, it. my daughter, who's now at University of Mary, is doing great out there, but she's got like all the love good stuff out there. That's it cracks so good. Me up, so. so good. So it's been yeah. a real joy on so many levels to be on this journey with you. But I do remember early on in our friendship, one of the things that united us was a common love for music and maybe specifically a handful of artists that we both love. It is already too late in the game to be asking this question. Mm-hmm. Who are your favorite artists? Yeah. What was some music you've been growing up on and then listening to even now? So I think one of my earliest memories of being really moved by music was Neil Young with my dad. Yeah. And uh, I got to Not see Neil him. Diamond, Neil Young. Yeah, well, yeah Neil Diamond oh, for a whole different reason. But yeah. <laughs> Neil Young, you know, Harvest Moon and just, just I went with my dad to the concert. And the way that he... The way I appreciated music as a young man was more ephemeral, more sort of emotive, right? And the way he experienced it was like, it was like the difference between like 
a college kid doing a keg stand versus a master distiller sipping from the, you know, from the Heck cask. Yeah. Heck yeah. And so I remember going to the concert with them and I'm, I'm there because just the emotive and the, the sort of the, the response to the music and I'm watching Neil Young and he's there just sipping it, right? He's just there like, he's experienced it in an authentic, real yeah. uh, way that's sort of enveloping who he is, mm-hmm. right? All of the senses where I'm just there just for like the audible, right? I remember that really being instructive to me, like, oh, this is it. So like Neil Young, all those singer songwriters just love. And that, that's like continued through like to Drew Holcomb, who I just, yeah. I, I really do like, I've never had the opportunity to meet him. I've heard him sing live a few times. He is sitting, he has sitting. I'm sitting in he Drew's chair. Sat, I mean, you are in yeah, Drew's chair right that, now. That's like, so I met Wendell Berry a few months ago, <laughs> sitting in Drew Holcomb's chair. It's <laughs> this all, is the it's life, all man. coming together. <laughs> Am I making this up? Are you a Jars of Clay fan? I love Jars that's of Clay. That's in my head for some reason. Yeah. I saw them play back in April. They, they wow. came together. I mean, I don't think they play very much anymore. No, they don't. Yeah. Most of them are like woodworkers here in Nashville. Did you They're know cool. that? Yeah, I know a lot of them are hanging out so here. so cool. But anyways, they they were doing a tribute show for Michael W. Smith. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's who's right. sort of, I don't know why, but like still my favorite. I can't His even His heart. Like, I mean, so there, there's, a, there's a truth to sort of the timber and the melody of the music. And that's beautiful on its own. But when yeah. that aligns with lyrics that yeah. actually are true from the person writing them and like compel the soul. Yeah, there's so many I love. And we, yeah. Yeah, we for like two years, the soundtrack in our house was Alana and Marie Boudreaux. Oh, heck yeah. Um, you know, and like the kids, like they, they like quote her, like she, they ask people like, it's like she's Lady Gaga or something. They're like, oh yeah, you listen to Alana? They're like, who are you talking about? But like, she's studied the children, years before too, right? Yeah, she has, and They probably yeah. brag about that. Oh, and, and they just, I mean, she's, yeah, I mean, she, her music's dear to our hearts. There's a lot that we, we really love. It's all for yeah. the same reason, which I think is that music has a unique way of conveying truth that doesn't force itself upon your imagination. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Right, it lets you, sort of like a good story. Mm. lets you go in with it, right? A good story you read and the way you, you know, the story is the story, but but the way you envision the characters, this is why no movie can ever live up to the story. Because the truth is your imagination, what you came up with is always better. That's right. Right, no offense to your Lord of the Rings trilogy or whatnot, but you know, it's never gonna be as good as what you really thought in your mind. Well, same mm. thing with the music, it doesn't force itself upon you. Yeah. It invites your imagination to walk with it. Yeah. Beautiful. So I think that's interesting because I read Chronicles of Narnia all the way through only after I had seen a handful of the movies, yeah. you know, but I had maybe read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe mm-hmm. as a kid. I also only read Lord of the Rings after oh, yeah. different the movies, experience, you know, had come out, which is really weird. But I'm going to go ahead and just have a moment here because yeah. he was on the podcast only a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago now. But this is one of the first series that I became obsessed with that isn't movie form yet. And it's the Wing Feather Saga by oh, Andrew Peterson. Nice. You said your kids are reading Yeah, kids are reading right now. Which is great. There is something so rich and important about the imagination. And it has to be cultivated because otherwise, especially as you get older, it dies off. You know, we just get really pragmatic or we get really, I don't know, in a box. We forget to dream. We forget to to even hope sometimes. And I think imagination is one of these things that keeps us moving forward in life. Yeah, I have a a sort of instructive experience I had, which is really amazing. So my daughter's at a a university that I I brag about a lot. And uh, I worked for five years there and taught there. And I I still love University of Mary. And there's other, I I have the opportunity to teach at Steubenville and just love that place. And any place that's authentically who they say they are. And even ASU, which is one of the largest universities in the nation, but they are who they say they are in terms of how they focus on the technical formation of people who are really capable in the field, hopefully without totally losing their sense of touch mm. with the community. University of Mary went there for a board meeting and uh, I won't name names, but I was invited up to talk a little bit about the reality in Phoenix. I was sent up there 
by our bishop to to give an idea of, of the sort of the, the taste and texture of the place to figure out how University of Mary could bring some of his programs and service to the students in Arizona. And I was there and I had this really good presentation. I mean, I dove into the data. I had friendships over at Arizona State University where I had worked at previously and been at. And there was a student there and, you know, came up there and I started to give the presentation. And one of the board members said, would you, would you sit down? And I thought, uh-oh, what I do to offend them, you know? And very wise, very successful businessman. And he said, we can read your report and we will, but just tell us a little bit about who you are. Mm. And he started there. And it was interesting because it's not that the report wasn't valuable. They can read the report, but what's really important is whether or not I'm credible. Yeah. So he asked me, he's like, I heard you had at that time. He's like, I heard you had six kids. You're just starting, right? I mean, and it, I had 30 minutes of the agenda and they weren't wasting time. Yeah. The focus was on making sure that, that, that personalistic ethic, that, that who are you? Mm that we start there and then we can move to, to what are you doing, mm. right? And it's really a test. And mm-hmm. what they're looking for is whether or not there's integration with who I say I am and who I am, does it align with what I'm doing? Yeah, that's right. With, you know, that, that's what makes you credible. Yeah. And so anyway, so it was this moment that sort of blew me away. So sorry you know, for like the divergence, but I mean. No, I, I was like, he just connected the dots in a way <laughs> that I have never thought part of this masterful. Because we want to talk about this. We, we want to talk, talk about, about identity. I know. So I was trying to think of a, a good segue, but it really does tie you together. You did it. Yeah, good. I don't okay. know how. I'm okay. still not even sure how. But okay. I can say this, that it was not intuitive to me all throughout my childhood all the way through college, that there was a difference between being and doing. Yeah. And I totally thought they were the same thing. And it's sort of the alarming accountability <laughs> that I have in running an organization mm-hmm. called Love Good, you know, where we're constantly talking about these things. Yeah, what we do. Yeah. Like I can't not live them if I'm talking about them, yeah. you know, it's intense, it's overwhelming, it's mostly beautiful and it's really humbling. And it's that order, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I, and I honestly, I probably learned that, that like all that philosophy, all that theology came like, you know, tumbling down upon my head in that yeah, moment. Honestly, yeah, I sat yeah. there thinking, man, you got this right. Because in Phoenix, if I showed up, flew out, you know, you know a three-hour plane trip to go give a presentation, I better darn well give the presentation really well. That's right. But they're looking at the data, right? And so it's just interesting that that personalistic ethos, this idea of, of who you are and from who you are flowing to what you do mm. is so necessary. There's, yeah. there's this proper relationship. And it goes back all the way, you know, philosophically, and we can even go to the roots of the enlightenment where the focus on, on what you do, becoming preemptive to who you are, or even post-modernity that says who you are is what you do. Yeah. You're like, no, no, no. In fact, Aristotle says who you are is what you constantly do. Mm. But what he means by that is that the things that you constantly do, your constant habits, either are consistent with who you are and right. they actually participate with with your excellence, with your virtue, becoming who you are, or they take you away. Mm. And no one wants to be somebody they're not. Yeah, it's interesting. I sat down at a conference table for lunch maybe two days ago, you know, and I'm sitting there and I'm really used to people asking any imaginable question of me. It Typically because I'm at a conference giving a talk. Right. I was this time just there to receive and therefore, I sat down at this table. Nobody knew each other. And this guy, I just was so taken by surprise when he said, right after he heard my name, what do you do? Yeah. Was, his, was his next question. I sometimes forget that is the natural yep. question in the public square because we're so actually terrified of of digging in any way deep or personal and and making sure that there is, as you put it, like this, this, this credibility first, yeah. this sense of who you are before you present the report, before you talk about what yep. you do. And I immediately felt the need to prove myself, yeah. which I found really interesting because actually I'd never 
feel that in those kind of environments otherwise, you know? So it's really the norm in a society that is so rooted on maybe individualism, certainly, you know, pragmatism and pleasure and all these things that don't actually define us, you know? Um, yeah, but that people you, identify with. Yeah, they only give you a piece of you. And they're important questions, right. but they're the second question. So yeah. like, you know, I was on the airplane and somebody asked, what do I do for a living? And I, I replied back to him and said, well, do you want to know what I do for a living or how I live? Yeah. And he said, what's the difference? Wow. And I'm like, well, there's a huge difference. Dang. And we had a conversation about it because I'm guilty of it too. I, I'm really curious, what do people do for a living? You know, right. Mainly because I'm just you know, hoping I'm going to sit next to like an affluent billionaire who wants to support <laughs> somebody homesteading. I'm just hoping I'm going to find that person. But you know, the, <clears> the reality is that we've just, it, it's, it is unnatural and only very recent. And like, if you want, I mean, like how recent? Like just read Dickens. Hmm. Like Dickens is writing in lamentation of this inverted worldview that says that who you are and what your value is, is not based on any innate dignity, but is based on your function within a determined society. Yeah. And we, we know how his books go. He's, he's pointing out the flaws in all of it. And other authors are at the same time. Hawthorne, Scholar Letter, and others, you know, are pointing out these same these same flaws of, of the challenge of inverting that. Because previous to that, it wasn't inverted. Benedict Sixteenth, you know, I, I, it's so funny. I, I've met secular philosophers that we share very little in common except our love of Benedict Sixteenth. Crazy, huh? You know, and they'll often say like, you know, how did Ratzinger become Pope or something? They, they're like really intrigued by this, you know, because, it, but he is this phenomenal German theologian who often speaks intelligently on philosophy as well in really beautiful ways. And he talks about this. He says, you know, the moment we put anything before existence, we quickly lose touch with the proper order of things. Mm, mm. So in other words, the moment we don't know what something's identity is or what something is for, what something was created for, or in this case, a person, who a person is, immediately we subjugate that to what they do. Right. We actually invert it. All right. So I'm sure you've been inspired and challenged by this conversation like I have so far. And what that probably means is you just need a little bit more leisure in your life. I don't know. I need to read. I need to write. I need to recreate, which is the same thing as recreate, you know? And one of the great ways to do that, especially in the Love Good world, is to hop on Spotify, to follow our playlists, and to be constantly exposed to artists who in a sense help us contemplate the mysteries, right? Who are entered so deeply into the mystery of life themselves that their craft, their their writing, their artistry just spills it over into our lives as well. So if you've not hopped on Spotify in the last few months and checked out many of our new playlists as well as our constant updating of all of our playlists, then today's your day. Go to lovegoodculture.com slash Spotify and check out our country playlist, our instrumental playlist, our favorites from patrons, as well as so many other kind of mood-specific and genre-specific playlists. And again, it's lovegoodculture.com slash Spotify. Check it out. This is, I suppose, the danger of even our last conversation about virtue is that we begin to think that this ability of mine to keep up, right? To keep saying yes to the good that, you know, how virtuous we are certainly is an indication of our freedom, mm-hmm. of our excellence, right? Of our ability to to make a gift of ourselves and love to others. All of that is true. And yet in the pursuit of virtue, we're going to fall, we're going to fail. Right. And if we begin to identify 
too quickly with the successes or the failures, we do sort of become incredibly either prideful mm -hmm. or at the other end of the spectrum, you know, completely insecure and unsure of, of who we are, or whether yeah. or not we have what it takes or all these fundamental questions that I see, especially young people asking themselves all yeah. the time. So what does it look like to root our identity first and foremost in existence, in yep. being? And I actually don't know how to do that apart from my faith, right? right so yeah. what's the answer to a world that, Maybe doesn't even want to think about grace, doesn't mm -hmm. want to think about the greatest love story that's ever been told. God took on human flesh right. and that changes everything. Yeah. And now it's him doing this great work of redemption in us, right? But how do you even begin inching people in the direction of, hey, you're more than what you do. You're bigger yep. than your successes and your failures. You have an inherent worth and dignity. You know, I just heard maybe this morning. Yeah, it was this morning I heard about Oh man, I'm going to forget what country now. Some European country that wants to completely rid themselves of young people with Down syndrome. Thank or? you. By, yeah. by 2030. By 2030. Yeah, I heard I this last this. night. That's what it was. It was an yeah. incredible concert with Eric Jenis, and he's got a daughter who has Down syndrome, yep. and he says he learns more about love and more about yep. what it means to be human from her than anybody else in the world. So imagine a whole country that says yeah. we're going to do away. And the, and the, the language they, they don't say do away with. They say we're going to cure it, which <laughs> is interesting. So their 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 way of hearing is by destroying that life as opposed to accepting it for what it is. I think Catherine Drexel, when she talks about people with Down syndrome and other developmental disabilities, says that they're more capable of love because they're constantly vulnerable to the reality of the situation they live in. Mm. They're constantly confronted by their limitations, and yeah. because of that, they're more able to love and depend yeah. on people. Yeah. Yeah. So so you you said it beautifully. I mean, this this it's all wrapped up in the incarnation. It's all wrapped up in the truth that God is reaching out and actually wants to to restore us and that restoration is not just redemption right he doesn't want to solve uh, the problem of sin mm. that's part of it but he wants to solve the problem of sin so that we can become who we are yeah and so identity is just at the at the heart of it so think of it this way you know if if your wife or your husband or your significant other is asked about you do you want them to name the things that you do or the qualities of your character right even a good friend mm -hmm. right why are you friends with Jimmy Mitchell? Because I love the Love Good package. No, right? like I, it's not because of what I get in the mail, you know? Though that's really cool. That's an important part. It's not that that's not important. No, I, I love Jimmy because of his, his, his enthusiasm and character and the desire to really, you know, impact culture and the authenticity of the relationship. I mean, right, those are the things you want to talk about. I mean, imagine if someone came to me and was like, oh, tell me about your wife. And I'm like, oh, she's five foot five. <laughs> she's of Hungarian descent. She, you know, those are, they're not, not important things. They're yeah. just secondary. Yeah. It's even worse if I, those are qualities of, of who she is physically. It's even worse if I say what she does. Oh, she's a really good cook. Yeah. I think Jim Gaffigan has an entire like stand up series about like just that, like answering that question poorly. Yeah. No, you know, you love your wife because, you know, she reminds you of who you are because she has this, you know, incredible ability to make you laugh, incredible ability to point out your flaws without making you defensive, you know, whatever, yeah, that, whatever that character, those are the, those describe who they are as an identity. And at the very root, if you whittle it all down and the great saints do this, you know, they ask why they serve or why they love. And they say, because the people we're serving have the imprint of God. Yeah. Or they'll say things like they have the face of Christ using mm. the, the language of mother Teresa mm. or He's in the language of St. Catherine of Santa, no hands, right? But ours. I mean, you, you know, you can go through 
I think I just misquoted that. That's okay. <laughs> you go through, you know, all that. You can look at this commonality that at the root of who we are, our identity is that we're main image likeness of God. Yeah. But we're not monolithic. Right. We have a temperament, a particular biology. We're given a particular place and a time that we're a member of and have a responsibility to. What it means to be a Christian today in the U.S. is different from what it means to be a Christian in Canada 500 years ago or in France during the revolution or in medieval Paris, you know, whatever the case might be. But the essentials are the same. Mm -hmm. So we're made in God's image and likeness. We have innate dignity, but we're also unique and we're created to make a gift of ourselves. Mm -hmm. I often tell this story and you remember this, you probably experienced this. So Gianna, you know, my beautiful daughter comes out one day when we're milking goats. Did you milk goats at our house? I don't think I've ever milked a goat in my life. But I've, no, I've just had your milk. Okay. You've had, you know, yeah, your goat's milk. Yeah. Okay. So you've been there. You've, you've seen it. So when people come over, when we were in Phoenix, you know, living in the suburbs, raising goats was, was, you know. Quite the thing. I mean, that had to have been a source of great, like maybe initial scandal for some and just complete like how is this real for others? Yeah, it was, it was, it was unique. I mean, we were in an apartment. No, I'm just joking. No. Yeah. <laughs> we were in a You also had a rock climbing wall. That's I mean, right, you, we had did. A, you had it going on. You had a zip line. And, 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 and in that house, we, we condensed that house. Remember, it was like 2,000 square feet. And we moved out of about 800 square feet to make a guest room That's for crazy. visitors, for you and for, for Polish priests and sisters and other things, you know, we just had going on. But one night I was out milking the goats and Gianna comes out to me and says, randomly, it's like, you know, it's late at night. And the kids knew, which is sad, but they knew they could corner me because I'm just stuck there for like 20 minutes. I can't yeah. leave, you know, once I'm milking the goats. And she goes, dad, why did God make me? Mm. And I'm not ready for like a deep theological treatise. I'm not, you know, I know it's, she doesn't want a catechetical answer to this question. And I look at her, I remember I said, you know, honey, God made you because he knew the world would be a better place with you in it. And she lit up and she said, dad, you know what? I think you're right. In other words, I think I'm pretty great, but it's true. Our identity yeah. is based upon, you know, the dignity that we have and being created by God and also the truth that we have something unique to contribute to the world. Mm-hmm. That's right. I just finished this book on Acedia. You've probably oh, seen yeah. it, The Noonday Devil. The Noonday Devil, yeah. Whew, it's really intense. And one of the things that I recognize is that even though typically I'm not one to like sit, you know, in any kind of sorrow or, you know, self-pity for long mm-hmm. periods of time, I still do have those moments where I, I sort of, man, kind of don't want to press forward in some area of life where I'm really just like struggling in a particular way that affects all the rest, Mm -hmm. you know? So this idea of acedia, which is like this ancient understanding of like hating existence essentially, right? Is, you know, not just sloth. It's not just laziness. It's forgetting our greatness. And that's what hit a whole section in this book about, you know, as soon as we have forgotten that we are in fact great, not because of what we've done, not because what we will do, not because of some legacy we'll leave behind, but because of who we are, right. our inherent dignity. As soon as we forget that, we've already begun flirting with this devil of acedia. Yeah. That in fact, that's what gets us out of bed. I wish I didn't snooze as yeah. often as I do. Yeah. You know, guilty as charged. Like yeah. it sometimes takes me about an hour or two hours into the day before I've accepted this call to greatness. Yep. I don't know how that is for you. You know, coffee only gets me so yeah. far, even at five a.m., five thirty a.m. Like maybe. At some point in the morning, I, I turn that corner and I realize, hey, like there is there is something about life yeah. that makes it totally precious. And there's yep. something kind of specifically about the life that God has called me to live that is unique and unrepeatable. And that gives you dignity. Oh, absolutely. You know? And think of it and the dignity then is given. Yeah. And then the beauty is in how you respond to that. That's right. Yeah. And so if you think of dignity as a given, but 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 there's a type of dignity that a person can have 
that's never really fulfilled because it's never really shared with another. Mm. Which, you know, this is like the scandal of abuse that would, you know, someone would be so hurt that they're not able to contribute joyfully yeah, to the gift of others, you know? <sighs> and so you know, we, we think about this and, and what the reality is, is that if, if we want to get it right, you know, who we are being precedes doing mm. and that what we do would naturally flow out of who we are. Yeah. And that, that requires some introspection. Mm-hmm. That requires a lot of questions. Am I called to do this? Will this yeah. fulfill me? Am I made for this? Am I prepared for it? Mm-hmm. So that we can start walking through that list. I mean, am I am I made for it? Well, yeah, I know God's made me to be an auto mechanic. I, I'm really good with my hands. I love cars, a passion for it. But then you have to prepare for it. Yeah. So there's a truth of, of, of you know, your dignity and then that dignity leading into a contribution because of the skills that you have. And some skills are given and innate and other skills must be developed and grown, which goes back to virtue about proper yeah. participation in how God made you. And that leads to how you can contribute a gift of yourself. And so the, the scary thing is this, is what, is what Joseph Pieper says. He says that modern acedia is busyness. Yeah, no kidding. That we're so busy that our busyness is to keep us, uh, distract us from the reality that our doing is obscuring our being. That's right. Or Lost in the Cosmos, one of the greatest books you can ever read, but be prepared to be offended if you read by? it. By? By Piercy. Oh, okay. So he, you know, he goes through and, and he talks about a failed party. It's like my favorite line. He says, take a party, any party, a kegger, a frat party, an anniversary, whatever. He goes, but a failed party all has the same thing, right? And he talks about this failed party that nobody knows who they are. Mm-hmm. And rather, he says, alcohol used to be to celebrate the festivity of who we are and what we've achieved, in other words, in, in that order, who we are and what we've done, mm. alcohol now is used to anesthetize the reality that we have forgotten who we are. And probably done nothing. And probably done, <laughs> and probably done nothing as a result, right? Yeah. So he says, he goes, he goes, of course, unless your eyes meet the eyes of another wanderer. And yeah. he gives this hilarious story about how then you think you're in love yeah, because yeah. you've just really sort of realized that your busyness was actually not contributing to festivity. Right. It was not contributing to becoming who you are actually taking away and robbing you of that. So I guess, you know, in, in summary, I, I tell my students, and I try to live it myself, which is difficult, which is just to be willing to ask the question, is what I'm doing part of who I am? Yeah. Is what I'm doing contributing to who I'm called to become? And is what I'm doing actually contributing to my vocation, to my gift of self to others? Mm. Or is it taking away? Yeah. And the hard truth is like 90% of what I do, I, I can imagine my dialogue with God in heaven. I'm going to go up there and be like, Lord, but I served you. I did this. He's like, I didn't ask you to do that. Yeah, That was another person's work. You did a crappy job at that. <laughs> you know, yeah. this is why I'm not in finished carpentry, right? <gasps> Rough carpentry, I can do. Yeah. yeah, I can actually do crown molding pretty good, which is technically finished carpentry. But you asked me to make a cabinet yeah, and it's not going to look pretty. That's right. You know, so anyway, so I think... This being flowing to doing is key. And I think it really comes to answering these hard questions. Am I made for that? Yeah. You know, is what I'm doing, what am I what I'm made for? That's really a deep ontological question. Am I made to be a doctor? Am I made for these things? A lot of times we think of a job, but not even just job, even just state of life. Or am I made to be a student? Or am I made to, mm. you know, be, be free or single at this point? Whatever the case might be, you know, am I made for that at this moment? And then is what I'm doing contributing to who I am? And is am I doing you know, actually contributing to my being a gift of self to others. Yeah. And the only way to even ask those questions, much less wait for answers, is to be still, which is why this activism, this busyness mm-hmm. of modern society is really, really dangerous. And I, I think this is the point worth concluding on that practically speaking, all of us need to be still 
and to be silent. You know, it said in this book that actually the, uh, the ascedia was never more present than in the monk who wanted to flee the monastery, who wanted to flee his cell. Mm. I'm finding that on a near daily basis right now. I have a lot of opportunities to flee the, every single night. The in my opposite life. of participation is escapism. That's right. Right? Yeah. Which is a, the worst form of use. Yeah. I get it. We all need to decompress and unwind. And there's a lot of good materials you can do that with. You but you know, I'm finding there's a big difference between a screen and a book, a big yeah. difference between a meaningful conversation and then just sort of like shallow, whatever, catching up, you know? Yeah. And we all can recognize this in our own life. And anyways, I really appreciate the opportunity to to recalibrate over here and yeah. to, to remember that my identity is first and foremost who I am. And then out of that flow is what I do. And yeah. you know, whatever contribution to the world I make in this life all of that flows out of first and foremost, that inherent sense of I am created in God's image. Mm-hmm. I am nothing without him. And this is where grace is a constant yeah. reminder to us that, yeah, without him, I don't really know how to make sense of life anyways. Right. And I certainly can't make sense of my own, you know? Yeah, it will end with the church fathers and they're unanimous on this, that Jesus, human par excellence, poured himself fully out mm-hmm. as a gift to others, right? He knew who he was. He knew what his mission was. And he poured himself out for the life of the world. My favorite Orthodox theologian, Dimitri Stanloe, talks about that for the life of the world. This, yeah. this all goes back. So we're called to do the same thing, Amen. that we know who we are, we know our dignity, and that what we do would flow from that. And it would actually contribute to our becoming who God called us to be and contributing to make the world the place that God wants for others. I love it. Ryan, as always, a pleasure. Yeah. We'll uh, see you again in about a month. Yeah, I hope so. Little things to great love Every moment you give to us Little things is a great love for you What's up, everybody? Little things is a great love Just you'll make us strong enough Little things is a great love for you Yeah! Everything, everything, everything You're the best. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Dr. Ryan Hanning as much as I did. And next week, we're really excited to say that we're sitting down with Zach Vinson, a up-and-coming singer-songwriter here in Nashville, someone that we met through Marie Miller. And we've got a lot of exciting events around the corner with people like Zach and Marie. We're doing you know monthly house shows here in Nashville that we then live stream for our patrons all over the world. But we're starting to do some bigger things as well. And, you know, if I think about it and I decide to just spill the beans next week with Zach, I will let you know everything you probably want to know about what's coming down the pipeline. But know that part of that is also a live stream with Zach later in February and just a really exciting event here in Nashville in April. And it'll be big, probably bigger than we've ever done before and you'll be the first to hear about it. So keep tuning in. We love you guys. Hope you have an amazing rest of your week, and we'll see you soon. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to the Love Good Podcast. Tell your friends all about us. Follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and join our movement today by subscribing as a patron at joinlovegood.com. Start enjoying our exclusive content and seasonal packages that will raise your standard for music, books, and art and inspire you to build a better culture. We can't wait to accompany you as you change the world.